You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast, where on a Friday we have recruiting news on the Penn State football front. Jamari Budden, commitment number 13 in the first addition to the 2021 recruiting class in 10 weeks, comes on board with an announcement at Belleville High School in Michigan, and he is the fourth member of this recruiting class from the Detroit area. We're going to talk about Budden's impact on the class, what they have brewing with this Michigan group, and what may happen next for the 2021 class construction in just a moment. First, I want to let folks know that through Saturday at midnight, We have 60% off our annual membership, that deal going on right now. I don't think you'll find a better one from us this summer. So that's going on less than 12 cents a day through Saturday. So you got a little bit of time, depending on when you're hearing this, that's 60% off an annual membership. And you can get one month for $1. Moving on from that, though, as I said, commitment on board. We're going to get to the 15 most vital members of the 2020 Penn State roster, When this team suits up, kicks off, and actually plays football this fall, knock on wood, which players will they be counting on most, and what does success hinge on? We'll go 15-1 to ranking those players, and of course, five-star mailbag coming your way. But Sean, again, been 10 weeks uh, since Lonnie White committed to this class. He had a couple early May commitments, but uh, we've waited for a while. This is one that we pointed to last week as looking good for Penn State, and Jamari Budden confirms it with his announcement on Friday. Feels good, doesn't it? We've got we've got news to talk about, and it's uh, it, yeah, it, Penn State three months without a commitment, uh, or excuse me, two two and a half months without a commitment. It it, it seems like three, it seems like six, it Mo- seems like one whatever. month feels like three months at this point. So well, yeah. it's funny because we were talking about that uh, on the site this week about waves of commitments, and you know you've got. 13 commitments now in a class that's probably not going to get above 20. So those big waves that you're used to and that wave that we rode for six weeks there where they picked up, what, 10 commitments in that stretch or or something like that um, seems like a distant memory. But here we are in July, 13th commit finally comes through, Jamari Budden. Um, you know, it's a, a four-star linebacker commit. You're not going to complain about too many of those. We talked about Budden on the, on the, the, the show last week or earlier this week that you know, he's he's got some time to develop. Uh, you're not quite sure what to make of his film because, you know, there's a lot of attacking in it coming off the edge, and, and he does that well. Don't get me wrong, he does that well. So um, you, you've got some sort, of, uh, some sort of idea of his athleticism, but you're curious about how he moves in space laterally, how he, you know, how those instincts will shine through at the college level. Um, does some nice things offensively and defensively, has has a nose for the football on both sides of the ball. So um, you like where that's going. And, and and when you can take a kid like that from uh, the state of Michigan, and I know Michigan has gone in another direction from Budden and did so a couple of months ago, but when you can continue to stay hot in an area like that, you want to do so, and and hope they hope that it has some sort of, uh, I guess, uh, ripple effect on other guys, not only in this class but down the line as well. When Jamari Budden put out a list of his favorite seven universities back in April, uh, right around when, when Penn State was really gaining momentum in Michigan with the commitments from the King Twins and with Jalen Reed, he put that list out. 
if you, at that point you go to his 24-7 sports crystal ball, it was 7-4-7 to the Michigan Wolverines, Sean. By the time he got to his announcement here in July, it was unanimous for Penn State. Well, it, it's a situation, I mean, obviously it's fluid. You look at Michigan's class and they've got a very good linebacker class. Couple of Penn State targets in there, Junior Colston, uh, Jaden Hood from uh, from Florida. So I mean, you've got uh, you got a pretty good linebacker class, and I think they kind of said, "Hey, hey, we got these guys interested." Uh, Tyler McLaurin's in there from Illinois as well, um, but we got these guys interested. So if you're interested, get in. If if not, get out. And and they decided to get on with it. I mean, these these sort of ultimatums happen fairly frequently. So um, he was not going to be pressured into a decision. And I think that's something that we, we talked about all spring is even when, uh, Jalen Reed and, and the King twins were coming on board, you kind of lumped Budden in there. I think back to that piece I had about Penn state getting hot in Michigan. Budden was a guy, one of the first guys that we talked about and Penn state always seemed to be in the mix, but you know, you had Michigan state with Mel Tucker and the new coach bump coming in. Um, you know, Minnesota's a school that he liked, Purdue's a school that he liked, but You've got um, – they kind of stuck with it. Um, Budden was kind of all over the place in terms of if you tried to, to read the tea leaves with him because, you know, no visits, just get, you know, idle hands. That's that's that sort of thing. You, you get your time – excuse me, you get time to talk yourself out of a school, talk yourself into a school, talk yourself back out of a school. And that's what this shutdown has done to a lot of people. And <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I, th- I You know, you thought it was Michigan earlier. Michigan kind of went by the wayside, and now Penn State stepped in. And to their credit, I think Penn State held strong because Michigan State, with with a lot that they've got going on, and and a lot of that is potential more than anything with the new coach bump with Tucker. They they were able to hold them off, and and now all of a sudden it's Penn State. And you know, it, it, like I said, it feels good. To, it feels good to get a commitment here. Michigan State viewed as the primary contender down the stretch, as you said, first year coaching staff in place there. Minnesota also involved uh, down the final few weeks of this recruitment, but it's Penn State that wins it out uh, as anticipated heading into Friday. Um, and, and, you know, look, four-star linebacker, as we said, number 20 outside linebacker in composite rankings. He's number 305 in those composite rankings overall, and he's a top 10 player in the state of Michigan. And four of the 13 commits now, Sean, are from the Detroit area. Uh, Bellevue, I think 20 miles or so within that 20 mile radius of, of Detroit. Um, and you look at the, that read, you look at the King twins, and then you have to look at Tim Banks, Penn State safeties coach. He's been with the staff since 2016, and he's a graduate, former star player from the same school that produced Reed, Martin Luther King, in, in Detroit. And you got to tip your cap to Tim Banks here because he has led the way, uh, contributing towards essentially a quarter of this class as we talk about midsummer. And and each of those commitments coming on the defensive side of the football, and each of those commitments coming during a pandemic shutdown. So you'll take that. You'll take that. And, and and I think the key thing here is his relationships got these guys on campus early. Um, Kalen King and, and uh, oh, excuse me, the King twins and Jalen Reed visited that weekend in January. Two weeks later, Budden was here. Uh, Rayshon Benny came through. We'll talk about in a little bit. Just uh, it, it's that connection and that ability to get those guys to make that trip. And, and really just thinking back, I mean, the effort that those three in January made, because it was a snowstorm. 
um, you know, it kind of says something about the interest level, something about the trust level of Tim Banks. And Banks has, you know, quietly done this. I mean, he's obviously he's got those connections and he's going to be the guy that, that everybody talks about with Michigan. But, you know, you and I have talked to Tim before. I mean, he's he's not the most imposing guy. He's not the most uh, uh, boisterous guy out there. But, you know, people like him. People gravitate toward him. And I think that they've been able to invest their time and invest their, uh, you know, sort of the, the – ability to go in there with just more than Tim Banks. Terry Smith is in there. You've got other coaches that have been in there. Phil Troutwine's recruiting Rayshon Benny as well. So, I mean, you've got these other guys, excuse me, Brent Pry obviously is in there as well as the defense coordinator, but you, you've got these guys that have made a concerted effort in that area. And that's a, that's an interesting area because a lot of these guys flock together. We've seen Penn State have some success with those Michigan guys. Obviously one just got drafted in the second round. Um, but yeah, they, they've been able to, to make this a concentrated effort and you know they hope that to continue to, to, to pull that off and I mean it's uh it, it's is, is there too many prospects in Detroit for Michigan and Michigan State I think so and that's you know not a, a slight to either of those schools I think there's a lot of talent in that area there's a lot of raw talent in that area and and, and Penn State has I guess parlayed their success with some of those kids into you know being a different kind of option than Michigan and Michigan State and I think that's that's really what Penn State has tried to hammer home when we look at where both of those programs are right now within the Big Ten structure, I think there's certainly con- some concern about Michigan State's ability to get back where it was in the earlier stages of this decade. A team that you know went into the college football playoff wasn't a good showing for them, but you know this was a team that year in year out competing for Big Ten titles uh, in that college football playoff discussion there for a bit and had a heck of a run. But the you know a- as the last regime came to a close, they did not leave this this team in a good stat- uh, status, I think, from a roster standpoint, talent standpoint. And I think there's a long way to go recruiting. And, and I do think they-, they face a bit of a ladder in that Big Ten East. And then with Michigan, you just never know with Jim Harbaugh sometimes, uh, the relationships within that state of Michigan and, and how he's doing with the high school coaches he doesn't always rub people the right way that's no surprise no secret if you have followed his career in the NFL and and now in the Big Ten and uh, it just seems like that door is open right now in Detroit and and there's always teams that try to exploit that at whether it's in Ohio State or Notre Dame or a team down in the SEC trying to make a move up there but you know Penn State has has found its you know kind of gap and, and it's found its crease and it has attacked it in a big way here in the 2021 cycle which I think is very important because we're we're not talking a lot about New Jersey generating Penn State players in this cycle. We're not talking about a lot of, of, of Pennsylvania players, quite frankly, at this stage, jumping on board with the Nittany Lions. So this has been a kind of a nice way, I think, for, for them to find a little bit of balance in assembling this class. Michigan State, 61st in recruiting right now, number yeah. 12 in the Big Ten. Their top commitment, Ethan Boyd, at least going by the composite um, there's only two players in Penn State's class ranked lower than him, and one of one is a kicker. So um, it's a uh, it's a tough job for Mel Tucker, and and obviously he's walking into uh, you know wading into uh, what what he is dealing with out there, and and it's you know he's getting a lot of money to do it, but at the same time starting up a program in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a shutdown, it's going to be tough. And and I see you know I see Michigan State staying on these guys that are committed to Penn State. I mean I think mm-hmm. especially Jalen Reed uh, and Budden, I think they're going to keep up with that, and and we'll see where it goes from there. I don't particularly think a season's going to help them based on what's on the roster out there, but 
you know, maybe some of the the uh, consistency that we saw from the from the last Michigan State program or the the last Michigan State regime sort of uh, boils over. And you know, you never you never thought that Michigan would get too higher, or excuse me, Michigan State would get too high or too low. They did. I mean, with the playoff and then with the three and nine record a couple of years later. But you always thought of that as a consistent program, like in Iowa, something like that. So, um, be interesting to see which direction they go. I, I like I said, I, I think they stick. Um, you know, try and stay on those guys that uh, that are committed to Penn State. I don't really see anything coming from that, especially without visits and without football. But uh, you know, it's a it, this is really not the cycle for logic. So uh, we can throw all that out the window right now. This is the second consecutive cycle in which it appears Michigan State and Penn State go toe-to-toe for a linebacker. Last time around, it was a Pennsylvania linebacker in the spotlight with Zariah Fisher. He, According to Terry Smith, last signing day, he was going to Michigan State last summer, uh, ended up postponing a decision, got to Penn State for an official visit early in the fall, and ultimately now he is a freshman linebacker with the Nittany Lions. And and here you see a, another win against the Spartans for Penn State at that position. And uh, Sean, when when I you talked about you know writing up your Michigan momentum piece, and and that I think was in you know early April. A few weeks later, I, I talked to Landon Tengwall about this, and I brought up Jamari Budden because uh, he was a guy who was very much on uh, someone like Rocco Spindler up in Michigan, an offensive lineman who's announcing in August. But when I brought up Budden, he said, "Oh yeah, the King Twins, Reed, they're on him, and 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 I feel good about what they're going to do in handling that process." I think the key here for Penn State is as Mel Tucker, you know, tries to. Make Make a pitch, whether there's football or not this fall, and Michigan State maybe tries to make that move with these kids, and, and, and you know try to tries to sell you know the the stay home, be part of a new era for the Spartans kind of deal. Uh, you you're going to need collectively you know that group to, to stay strong with the Nittany Lions vibes, and and, and very clearly from what we heard from Jamari Budden's father uh, in speaking with 24/7 Sports over the course of this spring and into early summer, um, you know they did move the. The, the the needle for him when when they jumped on board and talking to him about why they did that that meant something to Jamari Budden so I think as long as you have a ringleader in that group before I, I don't necessarily know all those guys personalities enough to know who that is but I think that's going to be important because as long as they're collectively on board I think it could be really hard to see one of them or two of them slip away and, and really you know cater to that decision with Michigan State now we know James Franklin has always been adamant uh, about, you know, if you're committed, we don't want you taking visits elsewhere. We don't want you taking officials elsewhere for sure. Um, that may not be a problem that pops up for Penn State along the way, you know, and that may, may who knows, at the end of the day, that may put a little bit of a damper on that decommitment season we've been anticipating because if you if you already got a spot in a class and, and you know that it's secure and you've already been to that campus you're taking a bit of a, a leap of faith by putting one foot out the door right now because that could slam shut on you and, and you may be left out of a class. Absolutely. I mean, there's no there's no question about that. That's how that, that that would be the chip that could change things when we talk about this epic decommitment season that we all expect. I mean, and, and honestly, in talking to coaches, too, they they expect it. But at the same time, if you don't have those opportunities, you're going to sort of curl back up in, in what is comfortable to begin with. And obviously what is comfortable to begin with is is the commitment that these guys made in the first place. So I, I, I don't know you know, that, that we're going to see that. And, and it's, it's interesting when you take a, a look at the decisions that have been made, especially the decisions that have been made without guys actually setting foot on campus. But 
I mean, that's kind of where we're at right now in this cycle. And it's, uh, it's crazy to think about, but at the same time, it's kind of become more common really every week or every, every month that we've gone through this. And I told you before we started recording, and, and, and it's a topic we're going to get to in uh, an episode next week, but I spoke with a four-star prospect this week, uh, a top 10 positional recruit at, at, at his spot, and he is now you know, on the record during our conversation saying he'd be willing to commit to a school if he can't visit because... A lot of the offers that he really likes, they have come during the shutdown. And, and you know, we're now looking at a four or five month sample size where there have been a lot, a lot of offers that go out. And for someone who maybe didn't finish their junior year with every offer they wanted, maybe they had a huge junior year and, and, and that film made the rounds and, and one team offers or 24 seven adjust the rankings. And then that turns some heads. By the time you're actually getting the buzz from that junior season, it's probably into February. And by the time you're starting to plan visits, it's getting shut down in the first half of March, and, and here we are, and here we sit now looking toward the fall and no visits being able to, to, to be had. So it was huge for Budden to get on campus. All those Detroit kids, as you said, I remember looking back on it uh, in, in January talking about that visit um, and, and, and who was going to show up to campus back when the biggest things we had to worry about, Sean, were, were Penn State Junior Days and, and the weather surrounding such an event. Um, and, and those guys did get to campus that day. And, and at the end of the day, we did not realize how vital that would be. Same deal with Christian Veyu getting to campus during the winter, having that sit down with Kirk Shiraka before everything was shut down and that possibility would not have existed. Getting back to Budden, as we've been discussing some trends here, getting back to Budden, six foot two, listed on the on 24-7 Sports as a 210-pound uh, prospect. Uh, he told 24-7 Sports this week leading up to the decision that over the course of, of quarantine, over the course of, of the shutdown, he's put on 10 plus pounds up to 220, 225 pounds. Uh, now, I think it's probably going to be hard to verify that at this point. We're not seeing him at camps. Uh, from what I understand, we're not seeing him in, in action on the football field as of yet. We don't know when we will, but that's an encouraging sign for a player who does a lot of his damage off the edge. You spoke about the aggressiveness on the last episode. That is reflected in the stat sheet for him in 2019. About half of his tackles, almost 30 total tackles for loss during the 2019 season, nine sacks, got after the quarterback quite a bit. And and I said this before, when you're looking at the linebacker class, you now have him and then you have Kobe King coming in out of Cast Tech in Detroit. And he is very much the, the downhill thumper, uh, not someone you're really seeing have that lateral range, which is what Budden brings to the table. At the end of the day, Sean, though, both of these guys on board, do we think that's a wrap on linebacker uh, expectations for the 2021 class? I mean, I think so, unless you, you get one of those guys that grows into a linebacker or eventually, you know, can be a linebacker that grows into a defensive end. I mean, you, we saw it last year with uh, with Zariah Fisher, but yeah, these complementary pieces in there, um, and you, you don't need to recruit complementary pieces. You want to recruit the best pieces. Um, but when you've got a guy like uh, Kobe King, who is an obvious Mike, um, you know, in the middle of your defense, you got to bring in a guy to flank him and buttons that guy. Is he a will or is he a Sam? I, I lean toward putting him in the box, the will, um, I, just because we haven't seen a ton from him in space. Um, you know, what he does at the high school level is, you know, he's the best athlete on a team of really good athletes and, you know, go find the ball and, and go get the ball. And that's what he does. So that's what he's asked to do. And, and I think that there's a, 
a difference between can you look at his tape and project a you know an all Big Ten linebacker or a star linebacker or anything like that. It's tough to do, but at the same time, you see enough that you're kind of like, okay, well, I can see if he picks up this, if he picks up that, that that he can develop. And and this is a guy that I think you you mentioned he's two twenty two twenty five is what he says now. I mean, he doesn't have to be that. He he can be two ten or two fifteen when he gets here. Um, the kid is is you know a beautiful kid from a prospect standpoint, just uh, you know ripped up and 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 looks ready to go. Um, but he he, he doesn't have to be two hundred twenty five pounds when he gets here. Like I said, he's a guy that's going to take a couple of years to to I guess. Uh, settle into the defense, figure out what he's doing. Not unlike Lance Dixon in the sense that he needs to learn how to play a little bit of uh, of college-style linebacker before he's out there. But hey, you look at that linebacker room, he's not going to have to play anytime soon. So you get that chance to develop. You get a chance to uh, um, you know get him in there with those other guys and, and see how he fits. And, and I like you know, I like his size. His that six two is legit. He might be a hair over six two. Um, so you you plug that in there. He's not one of these six foot six two guys, which uh, you know we come across sometime. Um, but you put him on the outside, see what he can do. Teach him to be a linebacker. Brent Pry is a fantastic teacher. Uh, we've seen that with some of the guys that he's developed over the last couple of years. And maybe in uh, probably probably two or three years, you see what kind of impact he can have on the depth chart. So how about that linebacker room? You go back to the 2018 recruiting cycle, one that was headlined by Micah Parsons. Dating back to that class, Penn State has signed nine. uh, I'm including the commitments here. So not signed. I'm I'm including King. I'm including Button. But nine linebackers coming on board with Penn State. Four of them of the five-star variety. Parsons, Brandon Smith, Lance Dixon, Curtis Jacobs, three four-stars, Zariah Fisher, Tyler Elsden, Jesse Lucetta. There are two exceptions of guys who weren't in that four or five-star status. Charlie Catshear, uh, who as of now on the spring depth chart at least, was listed as the primary backup to Micah Parsons as a redshirt sophomore. And then the aforementioned Kobe King. So yeah, there's not really the expectation that a freshman is going to need to come in, uh, try to play defense like he's on roller skates and and be a potential liability as as a freshman player. Um, I think right now you're looking at a great spot for Brent Pry and and cultivating younger talent while the third and fourth year players are hopefully dominating for you on the football field and and, and providing uh, one of the better linebacker units in the country at your first and second team. And then with those younger players, you know who else benefits from that, the linebacker spot? Joe Lorig on special teams. And and we've seen guys like Brandon Smith and and Jesse Lucetta, you know, really be able to to get a feel for the college football game in large part on special teams as true freshmen. You know, that to me, that's probably the most likely path for for a guy like Budden when we're looking at his first year or two on campus. No doubt. And you've got, like I said, you've got time. You've got uh, a deep room that you can get in. I mean, you look at what they've brought in, guys like, uh, you know, Charlie Catcher. I was a fan of Charlie Catcher coming out of high school. And, you know, he's backing up Micah Parsons, which, you know, can be a, a really good spot to be or it can be a really lonely spot to be. And he's, uh, seen, and he's healthy. Most important, I mean, with Catcher, he, he's, he looks like a different player than when he enrolled. I, and, I, and I wanted to make sure we weren't, you know, saying, oh, he's just a, a three-star kind of a toss in there. You know, I think Catshear still has a chance to do something special at Penn State for himself, but you know, came in, played with safety, played running back at the high school level, had some shoulder issues, but you know, he's certainly no one to sneeze at. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty talented. If you can hang in that room right now, and and if you can't, yeah, you know, we've seen guys move on. If you can hang in that room right now, you're you're a pretty good linebacker, even if you're not the starter. So, um, and if you can't, you'll probably figure it out pretty fast if you can't hang in that room. Exactly, exactly. So Penn State picks up Jamari Bud, number thirteen in the class. Um, 
um, we mentioned it's it's not there aren't a ton of spots left, but there are some tar- some targets out there. Uh, Kelvin Gilliam, the the defensive lineman from uh, from Virginia, set a target. Or excuse me, set an announcement date for August twenty second. Elliot Donald just announced that he's announcing in a couple of weeks. That was overnight. I don't know if you caught that or not, but I missed that one. It was uh, yeah, it's in later July. I don't know the date off the top of my head, but he, Penn State's still in the mix there. Obviously, you, you, your wish list is topped by guys like Derek Davis, Nolan Rucci, and Dejon Warren. So still targets out there as as we've mentioned before. You know, you've got to hit on these guys or some of these guys. George Rooks still out there on the defensive line, still looking for defensive ends. I mean, it's just there, there, there's things that can happen, um, but there are some pivotal guys in this class. And Gilliam, who set his date for August 22nd, is, is I think, one of those guys. I think he's just about up there with uh, anybody beyond Rucci and Davis to me. I th- you know, there's John Warren in that conversation as well. But a defensive line, he feels like the, the perfect fit for them. I think he's got that future captain, future team captain kind of uh, mental makeup to him down the line as well. And there's just a lot to like about what he will bring to a class. A little surprised by this, but... This is kind of the way things are all of a sudden trending again in, in recruiting. I think we're starting to see August kind of become late July, August become, you know, areas where we're going to see a lot of, of action again. We're going to see a lot of commitments been a bit more quiet through early stages of the summer. But it feels like now that, you know, and Virginia is a great instance here. Ke- Kelvin Gilliam learns that. He's not playing high school football in the fall. His season's a wash. He certainly can read the tea leaves and, and speaking with coaching staffs at the college level that official visits are very much in jeopardy during the 2020 season. And, and he told me just a few weeks ago, he was pretty adamant, not going to reach a decision here on, until he takes all these visits uh, to, to the schools that he really likes. You don't know if those visits are going to happen now. So he's announcing, you know, kind of like Rocco Spindler. Rocco Spindler's announcing uh, the first or second week of August now, whereas just about a month ago, he went on the record and adamantly said, I'm visiting my five finalists and then I'm going to make a decision. People are having to improvise and adapt here. And you just wonder, uh, you just have to wonder, will kids eventually get to campus as enrollees, as student athletes? And start to realize day by day that maybe they didn't have quite the feel for campus life, the locker room, the coaching staff that they kind of thought they had developed through virtual tours and Zoom meetings and all these other things. I'm not pointing out specifically Kelvin Gilliam here, but I think there is a bit of a rush now to get in line and announce a commitment in August uh, because there is a concern that, you know, might as well rip that bandaid off than trying to wait and wait and wait into the season uh, for hope that there's going to be an official visit. And I think that that is concerning and feeds into the fact that I do believe we're going to see, as a repercussion of all this, the transfer portal get absolutely worked in the next couple of years. And, and I can see a scenario where you've got guys, excuse me, you've got programs that that have that momentum right now and, and have the leverage to say, hey, I, I know you're not going to visit anywhere, but we're not going to have this spot for you forever. Penn State, you know, obviously with one commit in the last two and a half months, not one of those schools with the leverage. So that certainly doesn't help. So um, you've got Gilliam, you've got Damon Harmon, uh, his team at uh, at Highland Springs, who's going to announce on August first, and Harmon has vis- Harmon has visited one of his finalists. Yeah, I was going to say this. This is not. I mean, this is something that we've heard a lot. Is where you've you've got kids that are adamant that they're going to visit, and then all of a sudden they turn around and announce a commitment date. 
uh, some, so there's, there's a power play there. I mean, there's no question about it. So um, it's, uh, it's been a really interesting cycle to follow. It's been a really frustrating cycle to follow from a logical standpoint, because like I said, never going to say a kid makes a bad decision, but there's a lot of uh, ill-informed decisions going out there just when the, in the fact that you didn't give yourself the chance to, uh, to learn what you needed to learn about any school before you pick them. So it's, uh, I mean, Clemson's got two decommitments now. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, that's, uh, it's kind of where we're, uh, where we're at in the cycle. And it's, it's sort of, uh, in, in a, in a crux, what we've watched this cycle go through. So, um, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy by the way, uh, Jordan Hancock, who did commit a uh, decommit from Clemson this week looks to be, uh, you know, leaning to Ohio state. And that's a theme that we've also seen in this, uh, in this cycle as well. Don't know that it's going to have an effect on Derek Davis. Um, Derek Davis still has the opportunity to go to Ohio state. I still think Penn state's, you know, probably in the, in the lead position right there, but, uh, Derek Davis, another guy wants to take official visits. We'll see where that, uh, where that train leads him. Uh, when I've talked to him, he seems pretty adamant about it, but like you said, you mentioned the same thing with Harmon, with Spindler, with Gilliam. So who knows where that thing is in, uh, in a month and a half or two months when, uh, when they find out they're not going to be able to take, to take those officials in the fall. And the John Warren already gave the dates for four of his official visits, uh, you know, this about a month or so ago. And, what happens there? Uh, so a lot to a lot to look at. Uh, by the way, the Gilliam uh, announcement is August twenty second, so there's some time there. The crystal ball doesn't tell you much right now. Uh, one projection to Oklahoma uh, from Sooners reporter Brandon Drum, but that's a five out of ten confidence. I can certainly say Penn State's put themselves in a good spot, due in large part to John Scott Jr. and and the ties that were already in place with the South Carolina program before he came to Penn State as defensive line coach. But really hard to get a read on this and, and getting the sense that the door is probably open for this discussion to to move move him one way or the other but there's only so much you can do between now and August 22nd and none of it's going to take place in person. So tricky, tricky, tricky. Um, You think think Oklahoma, Penn State, Florida, South Carolina, those schools for Gilliam. By the way, uh, Elliot Donald uh, is actually a week from today, July 24th. That to me says Pitt, but that's kind of, you know, where where we're at. Penn State has, you know, I think done a good job and and they're probably in it more than people would would like to think considering his last name is Donald. He's a nephew of Aaron Donald, but uh, Pitt's been the heavy favorite throughout. Um, we'll see if, if Penn State was able to turn that. I don't know that that's been the case. And I think the longer that one would go on, the better for Penn State. And now him sort of uh, suddenly ending it right now is kind of, uh, you know, it, it's got to feel good if you're Pitt. Yeah, Donald, a top 10 defensive tackle, a top 10 player in the state of Pennsylvania. And and as you said, about as strong ties to, to the Pitt program uh, and, and the modern era as he can, being the nephew of Aaron Donald, who maybe the best uh, player overall in, in, in the NFL the last three or four years. Uh, Sean, turning our attention now toward the current Penn State players and getting away from recruiting a bit. We'll come back to it later. I know we've got a mailbag question regarding uh, what what is left for this 2021 class. So we'll pop our head back into that group in, in just a moment. But we're going to look at the, a list you put together recently on lines247.com about the most vital Penn State players for 2020 college football success. And uh, we're going to go 15 to one here, and and then we're going to probably mention some names that easily could have found their way onto the list. I know this isn't an easy endeavor for you, and um, I, I I don't envy you for having to construct this, but I agree with all the names on here, and and I agree with number 15 because he's going to do so much for this team. You've got Jordan Stout, and there's a lot of 
titles you can apply to Stout in his second year at Penn State. Kickoff specialist, uh, long distance field goal specialist, punter, holder for Jake Pinniger on those field goals under 50. I mean, this guy is going to be everywhere on special teams for Joe Lorg. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that is on the list and, and Pinniger's your kicker, obviously, but Stout can just do so much for you. And, and we saw that last year and we saw what, especially on kickoff. So I don't think we we understand how big of a difference field position played for Penn State last year. But when you can do this and when you can pin those guys back every time, I mean, it, it's obviously uh, a, a weapon and add to that the long term field or excuse me, the long range field goals and then put punting into that. I mean, we've, we've seen his leg. I mean, I, I think we're pretty confident that the guy can kick things far and that's really what you're looking for in a punter. So I, I think that the transition here, and that's probably why I ranked him in this list, is the transition from Blake Gilligan, who you know was one of the best punters in, in program history. Replacing him should not be this easy. So I think that having them, having Stout around there, doing three things in the kicking game is is such a big thing. And you know the the special teams can can win you a couple of games throughout the season, and and that's why Stout's on the list. Well, Jordan Stout, you know, set a school record last year going into halftime against Pitt to, to tie that game up, and and you needed every point in that matchup against the Panthers last year. He made an early impact; everybody was kind of wowed by him. And I, I do wonder, you know, where we will see him with that range. How how far is Penn State willing to to attempt to kick with him? Because he seems pretty clear that that he's good from sixty. Um, you know, and and we saw him hit from I think fifty seven was his long uh, during the twenty nineteen season we saw him beyond 50 and then Pinniger inside that's an interesting split and what is really interesting here and we spoke with Chris Stoll the long snapper and that's the only reference I'm going to make really to the to the interview with the long snapper this week in the call though thank you to Chris for his time he mentions the fact that right now it looks like Pinniger will be holding for Stout and Stout will be holding for Pinniger on these respective field goal attempts Uh, you know and we've said before they have some weapons in the specialist room. Joe Lorg has done a really nice job. I know he inherited Pinnaker, um, but you know, you look at what they're putting together. They do not really leave any stones on turn when they look at this specialist room and, and stout very clearly a, a prized pickup last year. We'll see what he can do in his second season. Um, 14 here, Sean. And, and I'm assuming maybe not as high because of who he has around him at his position, but journey Brown is number 14 for you. And just a quick reminder to the folks of what he did down this stretch last year, uh, 202 rushing yards, a postseason record for Penn state in the cotton bowl offensive MVP in that game. But during those final five games of the season, 593 rushing yards, nine touchdowns, and on the season, just about seven yards per carry. Ended up with 890 yards and 12 touchdowns, and all those numbers make it a little easy to forget that he was probably averaging six, seven touches a game for the first four, five, six games of the year. Yeah, he exploded at the end of the year, um, no doubt about it. Uh, Brown's lower on the list because of his position, because of what's around him. Uh, very high on Noah Kane and Devin Ford as well. Kane also made the Doak Walker watch list along with Brown this week. So says something about the, you know how talented that room is. I do expect it to be those three guys, uh, maybe with a dash of Keziah Holmes. But uh, that that's Brown has emerged as one of the uh, top draft prospects at that position for next spring. So 
So um, very talented kid, but I, I just don't think, you know, and, and I'm a guy that devalues running backs anyway. Um, Journey is is obviously showed at the end of the year. He's got special potential, game-changing potential in the college football, in, in college football. But I mean, uh, running backs are what they are. And I don't think the, the gap between number one and number three is all that much, especially when you take into account that they do plan on rotating those guys through. You mentioned potential. That word certainly applies to number 13 on this list. Jason Oway, a competing to replace Yitor Grossmatos in the starting lineup at defensive end. He's a guy that has provided plenty of intrigue for us here on the show. Um, and, and, and some, some interesting conversations over the last three or four years. And now you're seeing him kind of land on the national radar a bit more. Chris Hummer contributing toward that with a national story on 24 seven sports, uh, just about three or four weeks ago. And, um, you just wonder if, if the breakout happens, if the breakout doesn't happen either way, there's still a chance this kid's in the NFL in 2021, just because of everything he brings athletically to the football field. Yeah, this is a, you know, not a boomer bust guy because he has improved and he has played against the run better. And, and there was improvement over the back half of the season last year. Now he's got to get, still get more consistent from that angle, but this can be a guy that uh, really can change games as a pass rusher. And I think that you know, Penn State's going to need that. You saw last year they had Yeter Gross Matos, they had Owe, they had Tone, you know, they had all these defensive ends that, you know, were hyped up pretty well early in the season. But, you know, when they needed it, they didn't really get home. So that's a big point of emphasis, not necessarily on one guy at that position, because you could throw Adisa Isaac in at this spot as well. Um, that's a point of emphasis that they need to get back with the new defensive line coach, John Scott Jr., is to to get to the quarterback with four. And that's going to, you know, a lot of that's going to fall on the defensive end. So um, curious to see what kind of step he can take, because I do think, you know, he could be a potential draftee next spring. Um, you know, if, if that's how, if we play football and that's how things come about. Um, but at the same time, I mean, y- you've got to get, consistent production out of him you've got to you know if he can take that next leap be a consistent producer and then also you know up his sack numbers uh that's a that's a pretty good output for a guy like Owe who's still learning to play football three years ago he was roaming around the 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 camp fields wondering if he was a tight end or or how he fit in and just trying to figure out how to play in pads uh, now being mentioned as a potential first round pick in the NFL draft. And, and he hasn't really made that major move yet at the college scene, although he did take on a lot of reps last year in an era where there are edge rushers like Jason away. And, and that seems to be the, the trend. Well, guys like Rashid Walker are the answer on the perimeter for your offensive line. Uh, has the makings of, of a really, really special talent. We've been saying this for, for over a year. Did nothing as a redshirt freshman to dissuade that positive opinion. And he's a guy that that you'd love to to kind of set it and forget it as an anchor on the left left side of your offensive line. Phil Troutwine, he, he, you could hear him smiling through the phone when we had a conversation uh, about this kid uh, about two months ago three offensive linemen in the top 12 and Rasheed Walker is the most talented of them. Um, I feel pretty confident in saying that uh, just in terms of what he brings to the table. Uh, his punch is, is very good. His hands are very good. Um, needs to work on some things in the run game, but I think he'll get plenty of practice this year. Um, excited to see what Walker can do. I think he's a very uh, high level draft type prospect and, you know, hopefully for Penn State's sake, that's not after his third season on campus, which is this year, but there's a lot to like it. Uh, at left tackle right there we expected um more freshman moments from him last year didn't get it and that's obviously a positive sign but uh really excited about the future of Rasheed Walker because he's I think he's a really talented kid 
we've made it to, to number 11 here, and we're finally getting to the senior class. You've got three seniors here by my count, and, and the first one mentioned, Lamont Wade, stepped into that starting role at safety last year. It seemed to really settle in as the season went on. It's still hard for me to shake uh, his performance at Ohio State out of my head. I feel like that was a moment where he was just about everything you hoped he could be coming to a college campus. And uh, a guy that I think is very defined at this stage as a leader for the Nittany Lions. Well, I think that's the key part is the leadership in the back there. I think, uh, as we'll see uh, later in the list, the importance of safety play is going to be of paramount importance for Brent Pry this year. And and we saw that that's kind of where they were left hanging last year. Uh, you know, no offense to Garrett Taylor, but they, you know, they were steps low in the back two there and it cost them and it cost them a lot of yards through the, through the air last season. So um, Lamont Wade, if he gets his hands on the football, he's got, he's got a nice natural nose for the football, showed that against Ohio State. The thing about Lamont is taking that you know, Ohio State performance, which obviously got him on the radar of a lot of people and stretching that out over games, getting his hands of the football, you know, picking off some passes, being more consistent in the nickel. Um, I think he's got, you know, a lot of potential. And I know that, uh, you know, his career probably hasn't followed the path that a lot of people thought it would four years ago when he committed or three years ago when he committed, whatever it was. Um, but I think he can be a really uh, huge part of this defense. And, and that's as a potential captain, as a potential guy that's calling signals back there. I think he's got uh, a lot to work with uh, in, in a partner in Jaquan Brisker. And I think that they can be a very, very good unit. It's just that unit's got to get there quickly and it's got to get where it needs to go because those are two seniors and and you want to have those guys peak this year. And if they can do that, that can really, really do a lot for this, this entire defense. There are five names for you so far. When we get back from a word from our sponsors, we got our top 10 most important Penn State players for the 2020 season. And then we'll jump into our five-star mailbag. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we continue our look at the most vital members of the 2020 Penn State roster, a list that Sean put up together in detail up on lines247.com. And we go into the top 10 with another defensive lineman. We mentioned Jason Away, one of his 2018 classmates who did burn a red shirt as a freshman on Like Away, PJ Mustafer, got that experience in 18 
in 2019 essentially shared starters reps uh, with with a guy like Antonio Shelton and, and Robert Windsor was there. Windsor now gone. Uh, PJ Mustafer expected to step up and a guy that I could very well see being voted a team captain. No guarantees there, but I think he's got that kind of uh, appeal within that locker room. I agree. I mean, the magnetic personality, but personality is not what puts him on the list. What puts him on the list is he's got a chance to step in as a new starter. And this is no disrespect to Antonio Shelton, but you have more potential for spectacular play uh, from Mustafer than from Shelton. So I think Mustafer can step in to, to that Robert Windsor role. Um, Shelton's going to eat guys up, and I think Mustafer's going to benefit from it. And I, I'm really confident that you know he can take that next step. They're going to talk a lot about his wrestling background and the way that he's wired and things like that. But I think he's a talented kid. I think he's just been kind of waiting for his chance, and, he, and he's, he's experienced. He played a lot of football last year. Um, so I, I think Mustafer, you don't really see a fall off at that position. Um, you want to see some depth cultivated behind him, but for the most part, I think Mustafer can be a guy that you know gets the quarterback a couple times, makes a couple plays. He made some some good plays down the stretch last year, and I'm excited to see his progress because I think that that's a guy that you know does have all Big Ten potential in the middle of that defense. And and really, what we're looking at from this uh, this team, you've got to replace a defensive tackle, you've got to replace a middle linebacker, you got to pr- replace a safety. So up the middle of that defense is is very important for for Brent Pry to, to patch those holes and to figure out what they need to do to take the next step. And Mustafer's a, a good piece of clay to work with to put in there. He was a top five defensive tackle in the 2018 class, and and I think he has a real chance here to be uh, the most impactful defensive tackle that I have covered at Penn State. So that's only going back to 2017. Uh, so don't feel like I'm offending anyone from from before that era, uh, but I feel like he he has that chance to go out there and, and be the most disruptive at that position that I have personally seen while covering the program this year. Um, going into uh, number nine here, you don't have to look very far. Same room, Shaka Tony. A guy who was very quiet during the during the draft process kept us all wondering whether he was going to take the plunge, uh, leave a year on the table, and enter the 2020 draft. Ultimately, stays put. A guy that everyone in that room points to as a leader, albeit more of the quiet variety, and, and someone that you want to see that continued progress looks so much different than the kid who committed to Penn State four five five years ago. Now, well, you, you take what I said about Lamont Wade, and you sort of uh, roll that over to Shaka Tony leadership, uh, just a guy that, you know, is going to tell those other guys on the defensive line where they need to be great football mind, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, what we've seen from Shaka is what we saw from Lamont last year against Ohio state. You see these splash plays against certain opponents, most of them being from Indiana, um, at at certain times. (laughs) And you want to see that spread out throughout the year. And I've been a big proponent of Shaka. Shaka has been better than a lot of Penn State fans will give him credit for because he's a guy that has improved his all-around game while still while people still want to label him as just a pass rusher. So I think that that's really uh, probably unfair to him, but he has improved all around and he has continued to do so. There were a couple games last year where he didn't get any sacks, but you know he was in our top five list uh, when we looked at the tape as as far as which guys uh, influence the game. So um, excited to see. See what he can do. Um, like to see that stretched out and more consistent. And by the way, uh, a stat that I was very surprised by: if he gets the double-digit sacks, he needs ten more sacks to tie Michael Haynes for third all-time on on the program list. And that's uh, that's a pretty good group to be in. No kidding. And you just reminded me with that Indiana reference. What a ridiculous 
fourth quarter he had on the road in Bloomington a couple of years. Four sacks in the final six minutes of a narrow victory over the Hoosiers. Um, and we have seen it, certainly, as you said, uh, there have been moments of, of, of tremendous flashes for Shaka Tony. And then there's games where, where you're saying, well, where was Shaka Tony over the course of, of that contest? And uh, no Yitor Grossmatos on the opposite end this year, uh, looking for him to step up. He's number nine. Across the trenches, we go to number eight. And this is a, you know, I've kind of been labeling him an X Factor, I feel like, for 18 months now. Will Fries at the right tackle position. Rasheed Walker solidly in place on the left side. And Will even, you know, he admits to the fact that he is facing some competition. It's not, it doesn't feel like an open competition. I, I expect Will Fries to be the starter. But if you saw a photo of what Caden Wallace is looking like these days, Mark Brennan had one up of him checking in at the Lash building. We already know he's a former top 100 prospect. So if Will Fries needed more motivation than having a strong senior season to put himself in, in the good graces of NFL scouts, he only needs to look right behind him on the depth chart because Caden Wallace is coming on strong. Well, when you take a look at this list and you label them as vital, I mean, Will Fries is a, is a perfect example. You look over the last two years as Penn State tries to get over that hump that is Ohio State, and it's come down to you know essentially putting Will Fries in the spotlight. Whether that's fair or not, whether whether it was a an advantageous situation or not, especially when you're lining up against the number two pick in the in the draft last year, um, you know it, it was really glaring as far as the his, last couple of years that matchup yeah, has his, been. His issue. limitations were just uh, expounded there. So you take Chase Young out of it, which is good for everybody. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know Will Fries, obviously, his play is one of those guys that you can determine Penn State's success as a season on a couple of plays and and obviously manhandled by Chase Young last year in the horseshoe um, didn't get to Chase Young on that fourth and five and that's you know I don't think that's Will Fries's fault but uh, here we are discussing that a couple of years later so obviously it stuck Will Fries better than people want to give him, another guy better than people want to give him credit for was playing actually playing pretty good football but when you know those lights come on and those big teams that you have to beat the the couple of teams on the schedule that that you say are the the most pivotal games he needs to be up there at that level. So that's why I have him ranked uh, fairly as highly as I do. Um, one of three linemen on the list. And you're right. I mean, Caden Wallace is, is a really good prospect. He's a really good looking player. Um, do, is he able to hold him off? I guess we'll see. And and, and really, it's going to not come down to, and, and obviously there's no uh, non-conference schedules on the, on or no non-conference teams on the schedule left. So we'll just say it's not going to come down to whether Will Fries is good enough against Maryland and, and Rutgers. It's, is he good enough against Ohio State and Michigan, and that's certainly something that remains to be seen. You, yeah, you certainly think we would have seen quite a bit of Caden Wallace in the in the non-conference action those first three weeks. Now out the door, uh, I don't know what that means for him and what that means for for Will Fries um, and how Phil Troutwine may be inclined to distribute any kind of reps uh, whenever they do get a start in Big Ten action. Uh, the youngest member of this list lands at number seven, a projected first-year starter, one of those former five-star linebackers we discussed before the break. Brandon Smith, uh, a, a guy that, uh, you know, just covering him ac across the high school, the imagination was stirred for just about everybody with this young man, settles in at linebacker from a position standpoint, 14 total tackles, played every game last year, was the understudy to Cam Brown. Cam Brown's now with the New York Giants, and Brandon Smith looks like he could be the heir apparent to Micah Parsons as the face of this defensive attack, but he's still got to go out there and, and play starters reps and, and, and look like that five-star we saw coming in from high school. There's a few steps between where he is and where, where he could be replacing Micah Parsons as the face of this defense, but the talent's there, size is there, the kid moves well, um, a vital position for Penn State, replacing 
facing Cam Brown. And I know Cam Brown was not always, um, you know, in position and, and at his best. But, uh, you know, when when you've got an opportunity to have a three down linebacker like Brandon Smith at the Sam, pair him with Micah Parsons. And, and theoretically, we're going to assume teams are going to try and go away from Micah Parsons. That put Brandon Smith in the spotlight. Not a lot of experience. Uh, we saw some flashes of it last year, but needs to be consistent. So um, this is a big piece of this defense. And I think, uh, you know, trusting a first year starter that doesn't have a ton of experience is a, is, is a big step. But I think Smith is very talented. And I think he's a guy that can can handle that. So do we see a lot of, uh, you know, it, it's a situation where you've got Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucchetta in the middle. Do we see a lot of the the two linebacker sets with Smith and Parsons? I think so. And I think that's a pretty a pretty good combination. Plus you add his length in the passing game, maybe get get his hand on the football, pop it up for one of those safeties to make a play. And all of a sudden it, it becomes a, you know, a sort of a, a game-changing defense. Nice thing for Brent Pry to have at his disposal to pair up to pair up the best defensive player in the country with the number one overall linebacker in the 2019 recruiting class nationwide. Yeah, you, you'll take that pair on the field. Brandon Smith still plenty to prove in a Penn State uniform, but uh, nothing about his athletic trajectory to this point and what we've heard about his mental makeup leads me to believe that that he's going to disappoint on the bright stage on the big stage. But you've got to see it in action. Uh, number six, a guy who stepped right in as a freshman, took over his role and, and has been relentless in it ever since. Pat Fryermuth uh, featured on the Bolitnikoff watch list this week, uh, one of only four tight ends on a wide receiver dominated list. It's an award that has only exclusively gone to wide receivers uh, since 1994. Tight ends are always up for it but they don't win it. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, I guess uh, we'll see what he can do with that. I think that's still pretty lofty expectations that to see if he can make it to that point. But a guy that blocks his butt off for you, uh, your most productive returning pass target, a guy that Sean Clifford will presumably lean on in times of duress once again in, in 2020. I mean, a, a guy who has just taken a bar that was already raised high at the tight end position for Penn State and just moved it to another notch. Yeah, and this is Penn State's best offensive player. I mean, I would say he's probably a little low at six in the sense that, you know, he's uh, you, you know exactly what you're going to get with Pat Fryer. You think that that's probably why he's there. Curious to see what his rapport is with Sean Clifford. Does he take over the guy that Clifford just looks to incessantly like KJ Handler, or can Clifford take that next step and, and sort of spread it around? Kirk Shiraka, it, it's funny because that's the thing that keeps coming up is Kirk Shiraka did not use the tight end at all at Minnesota. I mean, he's going to have to at Penn State. There's no question about it. So I think uh, another productive year for Fryermuth and, and really um, the centerpiece of that passing game. When your centerpiece is a tight end, that's another uh, topic for another discussion. But when your tight end's this good, you got to go to him. So I'm uh, interested to see what kind of uh, things that Chiraka has in store for Fryermuth because this kid is really, really good. I mean, it's just, it's so tough to say the same thing over and over again uh, about Pat Fryermuth. But when you've got, you know, what should be three years of, uh, of top notch production, that's kind of what you get. Next up, we stay in the Penn State passing attack, and Jahan Dotson, I think this is a well-placed a well placed spot for him, Sean, uh, from your end, because, look, he has 40 career catches. It, it feels like he has a lot more because he is so far and away the leader in college production in that receiver room. Mentioned it before, no one else went with more than a dozen career catches at this level of the game. So with 40, that sets him apart in a significant way. What will be different this year is he's going to be higher up on that pecking order in terms of Penn State offensive weapons. I don't think at any point in his career he, he's been considered one of the top three 
weapons in this offense last year and the year before you're looking at Fryermuth and Hamler um, and I think you're looking at the running back position whether it was Miles Sanders last year Noah Kane and and then Journey Brown ultimately this year it feels different it feels like it needs to be different and if the wide receivers are, are going to take a step forward this is the guy at the forefront I mean you, you nailed it it needs to be different I mean <laughs> there's no question about that uh, whenever he uh, or whatever steps that he has to take. I mean, whether he likes it or not, he's replacing that KJ Hamler role. Um, going to be in the slot, but you can also move him around. We've seen him play the Z. We, you know, they, you've got some flexibility with Jahan Dotson. Uh, you know, is he a top level guy? I mean, the 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 lasting memory I think people are going to have about Jahan Dotson. It's not some of the the really good tight end, or excuse me, the really good touchdown catches he had at the end of the season. Um, but getting chased down at Minnesota, falling down at Minnesota, and ultimately that you know, leading that, uh, that costing them a chance to score. Um, does he have that top level ability? Um, do you need him to have to be, the, I, I, I don't think you want him to be the guy that has to take the top off the defense. We've seen him with some big completions uh, that really haven't been, you know, traditional deep throws or go up and get it and things like that. Um, so he does have big playability, but he's not going to be the guy that, that runs past your defense. So I think that that's the biggest thing when you talk about Jahan Dotson is what role can he carve out? How consistent can he be? He came into the the program with a uh, sort of a reputation as a potential possession guy. Um, that's what he's been for the most part, but you know, he's sprinkled some big plays in there. Do you keep him close to the line of scrimmage? Do you have him do some of the things that Hamler did last year? You know, I think he's got options. Or I think they've got options, but Dotson has to be that guy. I mean, he's the most experienced by far. Yeah, he's the most productive by far. He's got to be that guy that steps up and 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 runs with it. I I think he's a very talented kid. I think he has the ability to do so. But when you're looking for a receiver to step up, it, it's got to be Jahan Dotson. I, I can't see how it's anyone else. Coming in with his 2018 class with Justin Shorter, Daniel George, following up uh, the three receiver class uh, headlined by by KJ Hamler the year before. Never envisioned really that we'd be in a spot where we're talking about Jahan Dotson as the primary, the number one guy in that wide receiver room. That's who he clearly is projecting as. Maybe that changes. Maybe someone steps up in a huge way and and ends up taking on that role. But I I still don't know how to feel about it. And and that's nothing against Jahan Dotson. I, I think he's an impressive young man. I uh, think, but I don't necessarily know if he's a number one target for a team that has college football aspirations and and fryer moose the number one target in the passing game don't let me get that twisted but at the wide receiver spot can he be that guy is that enough for your program we're gonna figure that out along the way i suppose the wide receiver numbers were outrageous for minnesota under kirk shiraka they have been quite the opposite uh well they've been outrageous in a different way let's put it that way for the Nittany lions um number four we go back to the trenches and we focus in on a returning captain the center, Michael Mennett, another player who um, some wondered, would he take a look at early NFL draft entry as happened uh, the year before with some offensive linemen? He did not. And, and that's huge for the Penn State offensive front. Yeah. And this, he's he's high here because he can be that guy, that extension of Shiraka, that extension of Troutwine. He's been a fifth year guy in the middle of your defense, making all your calls, very experienced. So I think he's a very important player, very overlooked player. If you take a look at, uh, you know, what Penn State uh, is trying to do this year. So 
I mean, I, I don't know that there's that much to say about Mena. I think he's a Remington candidate. I think he's an all Big Ten candidate. I think he's a guy that, that played some really good football last year, got banged up uh, there at the end of the season, had some issues in the offseason. We weren't going to see him this spring. So, um, you know, hopefully he can get healthy and get where he needs to be. I think he's a draftable player as a center, and I think he's a, a guy that can really help his stock out by staying. So curious to see what uh, – I mean, I, He's a center. <laughs> You're not going to see a ton uh, of the great things that he's able to do, but I think he can do some big things to be the extension of the coaching staff on the field and to fill that fill that role. Troutwine pointed to his buy-in in that position room as absolutely crucial for him to, to kind of mold this group in a different direction. Mena has bought in. He's going to be a second-year captain uh, by all expectations and number four on this list. Now, number three, this is a spot where I think, Sean, some of our listeners – May pause may pause this podcast and scratch their head a little bit. Micah Parsons, number three. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to sort of what I said about Journey Brown. I mean, he's he's good. You know exactly kind of what you're going to get with him. Um, so is he the most important? I think that the level that he's at, it, which is a, another level compared to everyone else, no doubt about it, um, but at the, at the level that he's at, you're not going to see a ton of drop off. You're not going to see a ton of, uh, I guess, movement in his game based on where you expect. So you, you know what you're going to get with Parsons. You know what, uh, what he brings to the table. You know how important he is. And he is important, number three in the class. But, uh, if you take him out of there, uh, which, we're going to eventually discuss, I'm sure, if the season is moved or anything. But if you take him out of there, that's uh, that's a pretty big step down. So he's vital to the team. But at the same time, I think the two guys that I have above him, their development is more vital to what this team could be in the long run. What if we say Micah Parsons is your goal line back and kick returner? Does he get the, a little bit of a bump there? No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um Number two, Jaquan Brisker at safety. We've already mentioned Lamont Wade. Um, this is a guy who it's only a second year on campus, folks, but this is it for him. He's a senior, two years at Lackawanna, All-American at the junior college level, and the projected starter now uh, replacing Garrett Taylor. You look at Penn State's shortcomings last year, and this is kind of where I give him the edge over Parsons. You look at Penn State's shortcomings last year, Parsons can't do it all, so he's got to be surrounded by some other people. Brisker is a big part of that. Uh, you know, you look at the Minnesota game, you look at the Ohio State game, the safety play um, in the passing game for the most part. I know Lamont Wade had those uh, those forced fumbles, but you look at the safety play, not being able to get over, and, and Minnesota especially just pick them apart. And that's, uh, you know, the same Safety play has not been there for the last couple of seasons, and it needs to be at a different spot. I'm excited to see what Jaquan Brisker can do. Heard some great things physically. You, you hear a lot of these things, and you saw him be close enough on some plays last year that gave you the confidence to put him as a projected starter, no question about it. So I think he's in line for a big year. Um, you know, it's is it a boomer bust situation? Very possibly. But at the same time, if he can hit, if he can be the player that they think he can be and the player that they recruited him to be, uh, that's going to make your defense, that's going to take your defense to a different level. So that's why I have him as my number one defensive guy, my number two overall guy. Number one, this this was a slam dunk all the way. The make or break, whatever you want to apply to it, uh, that label goes on Sean Clifford at the quarterback spot. 
Everyone wondering if a Tanner Morgan ascension is possible? Well, you take away spring practice, you take away uh, a lot of valuable time on campus with Kirk Shiraka. It makes you wonder what what, what can take off here in 2020, but Sean Clifford as a redshirt junior, uh, 23 touchdown passes last year against seven interceptions, uh, did some things with his wheels, uh, an effective runner, showed off the athleticism, uh, but there are a lot of moments where he was too excited, he was too anxious, wound up, whatever you want to call it, and that was visible from the press box, I'm sure it was visible from your television, and there were some moments where it simply was not effective, and you saw it uh, against programs that, that had a quarterback who was dynamic enough to make plays in key moments, uh, and ultimately that's the difference between, I hate to say it, great to elite, it seems to fall on his shoulders. Tom Bradley used to say the expectations are the expectations. Still don't know what the hell he was talking about, but right now the expectations are so high that that you're looking at the difference between Sean Clifford as the difference between a 11-2 and two Cotton Bowl team and a college football playoff team. And the, the margin of error right there is very small, but the difference of what we saw last year from a playoff team, Ohio State, and what we saw at Penn, uh, from a Cotton Bowl team at Penn State was the quarterback play. And Sean Clifford needs to get better. He needs to handle those situations, um, especially on the road, especially against big opponents. Um, he needs to be able to handle those situations and not only handle those situations and manage those situations, but excel in those situations. And that's really what's going to keep Penn State out of the playoff right now is, is the quarterback, you know, the ability, the quarterback's ability to sort of turn that thing on its head and take it and take it into his own uh, account and go with it. So um, we saw, you know, down the stretch uh, in a couple of seasons, Trace McSorley be able to do that. We've not seen Sean Clifford really take that upon himself. And and, and that's not, that's not a fair categorization because he's tried, but he needs to be the guy that, that makes the plays that changes the games. And that's, what's going to get Penn state there. So, I mean, number one, you know, you could you could make a list with coaches and involve Kirk Shirak on this, but at the same time, um, you're you're looking at just players and and Sean Clifford's that guy, no question about it. There's Sean's list. You can read it uh, in its full scope up on lines247.com, the 15 most vital Penn State players for 2020 success. Uh, just some other names that, that popped into my head when I saw your list, Sean, that I think you know warrant some consideration there towards more the back end. Tariq Castro-Fields at cornerback had kind of that Jekyll and Hyde season last year. Injuries played a role there. Noah Kane, like you said, running back, feels like a little bit interchangeable. Uh, Daniel George at wide receiver. C.J. Thorpe uh, in year number two at guard. And, and then Jesse Lucetta and, and Ellis Brooks competing for that middle linebacker spot. I think either of those guys, uh, you know, warrant a nod and guys who are going to be crucial for Penn State. But I enjoyed your list. Hey, I appreciate it. I enjoyed my list too. It was, it was a lot of words. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's some some uh, vital pieces in there. No cornerbacks on my list. Um, obviously, CJ Thorpe, I think, uh, is in line for the potential for a big year. And then receiver is the big one. I mean, Daniel George is in there. You you know, do you do you make a leap and put Keandre Lambert on there as a freshman? Not, not, not there yet. But uh, yeah, I think that those are some spots that you sort of look to that uh, you know will be will be vital roles for these guys, and we'll see uh, we'll see how they play out. We're up against it with time a little bit, so we're going to keep it to one question in the five star mailbag. We'll do our best to make up for it next week. Maybe take a deeper dive into there, uh, but. We're going to touch back on this 2021 recruiting class, how we opened the show, Sean, and what may be next after Jamari Budden's commitment. This question comes from A Hinton eighty eight eleven says, you talked earlier in the spring about the tight end position kind of recruiting itself. 
But with Thomas Fedone leaning to Nebraska, Brock Bowers leaning to Georgia, Michael Trigg leaning to Auburn, and other top tight ends already committed elsewhere, does Penn State settle on someone like Khalil Dinkins, or does Penn State hold off and not take a tight end commitment with the talent already in the room, then trying to make it more appealing to the top 2022 tight end prospects? I'm going to throw the ball in your court here, Sean, but first off, I think we got to be careful about saying that that Khalil Dinkins is a settle. I, I like a lot about Dinkins. I like a lot about Dinkins too. That's the uh, that's the issue that I had with the question was when you throw settle in there. Um, it's July. Like it, you're not if you got a guy right now that you're pursuing, and I would say he's probably Penn State's mo- most realistic target at tight end. Uh, you're not really settling for a guy. Now, on the contrary, folding that into the next question, I don't think Khalil Dinkins is scaring anyone off in 2022. So, you know, whether you're talking about passing on the position or whether you're talking about um, trying to set yourself up in 2022, I don't think that that's much of an issue right now. Now, you you could very well see Penn State pass on the position. That's not going to happen in July. That's, That's more of a decision for November, December, or you know, potentially the uh, the later signing period in February, uh, depending on what's out there. Dinkins is a guy you you put on the film. There's a lot to like there in terms of ball skills, in terms of uh, you know, I guess football player ability. We talked a little bit about Brenton Strange coming out of that Ironman draft. It's kind of a similar type uh, setup when you talk about Dinkins, and then you throw some NFL bloodlines on top of that. You're not sure where he's at in terms of how much he's going to grow, how much he's going to fill out and and keep that athletic ability. I, like I said, I like Dinkins. I mean, I, I think he's, uh, you know, you could certainly do a lot worse. I will go back to the first part of your question um, about the position recruiting itself. Uh, that in terms of position, and there have been guys that, you know, individual guys that this has affected more in t- terms of recruiting the position, uh, probably no position hit harder um, by the shutdown than tight end because you're talking about guys, you know, like, um, Maliki Mataveo and Jack Pugh that you couldn't get a really a fair shake to get on campus and get those guys out here for officials. Um, we've been saying it with Fedone and Trigg in, in that, you know, you you needed official visits for those guys. And, you know, they're still in it with Michael Trigg. But let's be honest, if he doesn't get to campus or if he doesn't have the opportunity to get to campus, I mean, you, you might as well write that one off right now. So um, I think that that's a, a position that, you know, it was kind of a gut shot when you talk when you take visits out of the equation, considering how national of an approach they took. And I know they got Brock, Brock Bowers on campus, but you know that's a that's a tough pull in itself. I still think he goes to Georgia, and I don't think that that one's you know particularly close uh, in terms of the second place team. So um, it it's certainly been a twist and turn situation when you talk about tight ends. You remember Nick Elksness committed last summer, so. Excuse me, that kind of puts you behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of recruiting those top notch players. And then, you know, that there's a month and two weeks, uh, I guess a month and a half between when uh, Elksness goes elsewhere and when you can't have visitors anymore. So that's uh, that's a tough one to swallow. And that's, uh, you know, you, you talk about Penn, Penn State's bad luck in the cycle. And I think it kind of screams it when you're talking about tight ends. That decommitment from Nick Elksness feels like two recruiting cycles ago, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Man, I, mean, I, I was looking at stuff last week. Uh, there was a. I think it was March. It was March first, wasn't there it? Was, it was like the last day of February. I mean, we were we were looking at stuff. Uh, so Lewis Hansen is committed to Michigan, and there was a, a, a report about him running something. So I was looking up stuff to see if I had any notes on him from Penn State's camp last year. And I, I looked at Nick Elksness' stuff, and I'm like, man, that feels like forever ago. And you know, he just flat out killed. I still think we have him too low 
in 24-7 sports. We have him as a three, a high three-star. I think he's a four-star kid no matter where he's committed to. Um, I agree. But uh, it's uh, – yeah, it just feels like such a long and winding cycle. And to think that, you know, it's been, what, four and a half months or four months since anyone has been able to get on campus. And then on top of that, you added a month of dead period in February to start – I mean, there's just uh, that's a that's a lot. That's a lot to to overcome for a lot of these schools, and and obviously, it, you know, it hasn't gone Penn State's way as much as it's gone as uh, for other schools. That's way too many FaceTime calls in the last four or five months between coaches and recruits. Just way too many FaceTime calls. By the way, Fedone out of Iowa, Michael Trigg out of Florida, Matavao, a guy that seemed like a lot of positives were brewing with him out of Nevada. None of these guys on campus. Brock, Brock Bowers, for what it's worth. Uh, you got a California kid coming to State College in late winter for his visit. Certainly would love to have seen how he would react to a game in Beaver Stadium or a, a beautiful late spring day. Uh, you know, there, there's just a lot of things you couldn't get done uh, with these guys that normally you would. But at the end of the day, this is a Friday where Penn State picks up a commitment. Jamari Budden on board. Talked about that throughout the first uh, part of this show. A bunch of coverage on 247sports.com uh, right now up on lines 24-7. Steve Wiltfong has a story up with some perspective on who Budden is and what he could bring to Penn State. Alan True has his take and some analysis up there as well. And, and we'll have a, a big piece updating you on every component of this 13-player class up on the site by the end of Friday. So plenty to check out uh, this weekend where, by the way, once again, 60% off an annual subscription uh, to Lions 24-7. That runs through Saturday. Jump on board with us. A lot of recruiting all of a sudden getting on a roll again. So we'll, we'll certainly be behind the scenes, uh, have our recruiting team out and about across the country, bring you the latest on everything that could impact the Nittany Lions in 2021 and beyond for the recruiting trail. That's going to do it for the show today. Head over to Apple Podcasts, drop your five-star rating, your review, and your question. We'll do our best to get you into the next five-star mailbag. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not going to survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.